Father, this morning, as we look at present truth, as we look at a message that is directed squarely to us, may we take it to heart, and may we seek to conform our wills to yours, and that we may be ready for you to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Laodicea is in Revelation chapter 3. So why don't we just turn our Bibles there quickly. A note before we get into it. We've looked at the seven churches so far. And so far it's been history. You know, there's some good applications. There's been good lessons that we can learn. But we need to approach the church of Laodicea differently. It's one thing for us to be looking at the stories of Napoleon and Hitler and Alexander the Great, but it's totally different when we're talking about Obama and Hillary and Bush and McCain. Because one of those scenarios, one group of those is history. It's stuff that has already passed. Nothing can be done about it. But the other side is talking about present-day issues that affect us right here, right now. And even more importantly, the Laodicean message is speaking directly to the church in the end times, which we believe that we are a part of. And so when we look at the message to Laodicea, we need to be careful we do not look at it as though it's just another period in church history that has already passed, Uh, and that it's stuff that has already gone down through history, it's talking to us. It's not talking about us. It's actually talking to us. And so we need to have that proper perspective so we don't get caught up with thinking, oh man, those people, God is really blasting them or he's really rebuking them. No, God is talking to us. So we need to keep that in mind. So let's look at Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3 beginning in verse 14. So if I could have a volunteer, uh, raise your hand, wait for the mic, and we are going to read from verse 14 until the end of the chapter. We're going to go through the whole message right from the get-go, and then we'll take it piece by piece. Let's have a volunteer. All right, we got one in the back. Thank you very much. And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write... These things saith the, excuse me. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, and therefore, and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. 
To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right, thank you very much. So Laodicea, there you have it. It's a fairly lengthy message, fairly lengthy uh, discussion with them. A couple things to note, though, right off the bat. Perhaps the most notable one is that this final church has no commendation. It has no praise that God or Jesus mentions. But it has a fairly lengthy section in which God rebukes this church soundly. And then there is an also a lengthy section with admonition. What you ought to do now to solve your predicament. So God is um, particularly careful to give counsel to this church. Now, let's take it one step at a time. Let's look in verse 14. Verse 14 is Christ's introduction of himself. Christ, we've already discussed before, when he introduces himself, he gives the description or the description of him that John gives is somehow related to the message. It's tied into what the church needs. And there are three things, if I can break it down for you. He is, number one, he's the amen. And then he's the faithful and true witness. And then he's the beginning of the creation of God. So the amen. What does the word amen mean? Um, It is a definite confirmation of what has been said and pretty much finale. Yeah, that's exactly right. The official definition, if I, if, I, if I can put it this way, is so be it. So be it. So when you say amen to someone in a sermon, you're confirming, saying, so be it. I agree. I affirm. That's right. And Christ introduces himself with this uh, term of confirmation. It's as though he's standing up and saying, it is as it is. I am that I am. So be it. It's almost a confirmation of whatever I'm about to say is the truth. But it also has to do with the idea that some people, we're going to talk about this, some people don't necessarily believe anymore. Some people don't necessarily believe that what Christ said is simply what he said. They simply don't believe. We're going to talk about that. But the next Uh, characteristic is he is the faithful and the true witness now we've mentioned this before so I'll just gloss over this and deal with uh, something a little bit deeper when you think of a a faithful and true witness what kind of a situation is that person needed when do you have witnesses during a trial that's right and the name Laodicea the definition is a people judged. A people judged. And this church actually began shortly after 1844. And we discussed that, I believe, last week, the open and the closed door. And uh, the judgment church, the church that is living within the antitypical day of atonement, the day of judgment, is the church of Laodicea. And Christ introduces himself as, look, I am the faithful and true witness. And what does it mean to be faithful and true? To be just put in one word, he doesn't lie. 
That means if you are righteous and you are um, innocent, a faithful and true witness is a good thing for you. But if you are guilty, and if your sins have not been acquitted you, if they have not been forgiven and you have not been justified, then a faithful and true witness is bad news for you. But Christ is simply saying, I am the true and faithful witness. Whatever has been recorded in the books, whatever your life has been, that is what I'll testify. So it's a judgment message. But then he continues and he says, I am the beginning of the creation of God. Now, there's a, there's a place in, I believe, Second uh, Peter, where there are some who say, My Lord delays His coming. All things continue as they were since the beginning of creation. But Christ here is saying almost as though those skeptics are going to come. But look, I'm the beginning of the creation. I'm the firstborn of creation. I'm the one that set everything into motion in the first place. And so some people who say everything is just going on naturally, uh, the naturalistic view of history, things are just going to continue to evolve down the millennia, nothing has ever changed, nothing will ever change. Christ is saying, no, I changed the beginning of the world. I started it, and I can come whenever I want. But there's something more here. Let's look in the book of uh, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, verse 15 through 17. Let's have a volunteer to read for us. Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 17. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So Christ here, in a sense, he is demonstrating or sharing his sovereignty. I am the God that created all things. I am the firstborn of the creation. By me, Christ is saying, all things consist. All things were created for me. And by me, Christ is saying. And all of these things somehow have to do with what the message to Laodiceans have to be. <clears throat> Let's go back to Revelation chapter... Actually, before we go there. Before we go there. Just an interesting side note. Let's flip a few pages over to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse... Verse 16. Can someone read that for us? Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. All right, we have a volunteer in the front here. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Thank you. So the Colossian epistle, Paul at the very end, he tacks on this little comment. He says, what I have written to you, I've also written to the Laodiceans. Read it, have them read it. And whatever I wrote to them, you read it also. So it's almost as though the message in the book of Colossians in the Bible is also, you can call it the book of Colossians and Laodiceans. 
And <clears throat> what is one of the themes? The book of Colossians has talks about several things. But what is one of the big major themes in the book of Colossians that is re-emphasized in Revelation? It simply is this. I'll just I'll just show you. Colossians chapter one, verse twenty six and twenty seven. Colossians chapter one, verse twenty six and twenty seven. Volunteer, please. Okay, there's one right there. Yep. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is the Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. One of the primary messages of Colossians is this idea of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's also called a mystery that's been hid. And when you study Revelation chapter 10, I have a feeling we're going to hear more about that today. It talks about the mystery of God being finished. And that the mystery of God being finished somehow is attached to the completion of the work of God in this world. And so the church of Laodicea, there's something about the mystery of God that's important. Okay, I'm just going to touch on that. We'll come back to it if we have the time. Okay, Revelation chapter 3, we're continuing. That's uh, the introduction, verse 14. We're moving on, verse 15, 16, and 17. Verse 15 and 16. Basically, Christ is saying the same thing in multiple ways. You are neither cold nor hot. You are neither cold nor hot. You're lukewarm. Now... You know, there's a lot of immediate applications. You're not on one side or the other. You're a fence straddler. That's a common application. But how do you get lukewarm water? How do you get lukewarm water? It's a mixture of both cold and hot. It's It's a mingling of two opposites. It's a combination of things that don't belong together. And this church has a problem. They're mingling things that don't belong together. Truth and error. Holy things with common things. And what comes out of this church is this mentality that I am rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. So this cold and hot mentality, this mingling mentality ends up becoming, leading to indifference. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about this idea of pluralism. This church exists in a climate when you can be hot, I can be cold, you can be neither, and let's just all get along. Because it doesn't matter what you do. We don't need anything. We're okay just the way we are. Don't be too legalistic. You're, you're, you're too hot. You don't want to be too worldly either. That's too cold. We need to find a balance. Yeah, balance in the middle. You know, I can read my Bible when I feel like it, but I can go out and and club when I feel like it. You know, I can I can eat a little of this stuff, but for the most part, uh, you know, I'm I'm fairly healthy. You know, I can I can live my life this way six days out of the week, but 
Seventh day, you know, I live this way. It's a pluralistic idea where the church begins to think I can be whatever and people just have to accept me. That is Laodicea. And it leads to this idea of I'm fine. I am rich. I'm increased with goods. I'm just okay the way I am. And if I can take it just one step further, we sometimes get the idea that the church as a whole, we are doing so wonderful. The church is growing by leaps and bounds. Thousands of baptisms everywhere around the world except North America. The church is just bursting at the seams. Everyone wants to join the church. Wait, wait, wait. It is true. And all of those things are wonderful. I love evangelism. I've, I've been on mission trips. I've done youth evangelism and seen thousands baptized. It's, it's wonderful. But the point is this. The condition that we are warned against is not being too hot. The condition we are warned against is not becoming indifferent. Not becoming lukewarm, thinking that because we're doing all of these things, that somehow we're okay. Because all of that, those acts of evangelism, we should not stop. We need to continue, and we need to continue with more effectiveness and more fervor and more dedication than ever. But there's something that is missing with Laodicea. And I'll just tell you now, it has to do with this organ right here, the thumping one. There's something missing there. Laodicea, rich and increased with goods, thinking they have need of nothing. But Christ says, I will spew you out of my mouth. Christ doesn't like the pluralistic type of approaching his message and his work. He, has, he cares more about, if you're cold, stay cold. At least you'll try to get warmed up. If you're hot, praise the Lord. But what does it mean he'll spew you out of his mouth? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32. I'll just read this. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men... Him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Verse 33. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. So if you're spewing something out of your mouth, you know, that, that, that concept, that idea has to do with either drinking or, or uh, eating. You're ingesting something into your body. You're, you're eating something that is supposed to be a part of you. If you spit it out, what are you saying? When you spit it out, you're saying, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want whatever that was in my mouth to be a part of me. So Christ spewing us out of his mouth is him denying us. And within the context of the judgment, because Laodicea is the people being judged, it is dealing with the investigative judgment in which Christ will no longer stand on our behalf. 
Christ will spew us out of his mouth, meaning he will deny us like he said he would in Matthew chapter 10. And that's, uh, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. So he continues here. Rich increase with goods, have need of nothing. They are indifferent to their true needs and true condition. Or another word, I can put it this way. They're self-deceived. They're self-deceived. These are the same group of people that will say, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out devils, healed the sick, done all these things in your name? And Christ will say, I never knew you. He will spew them out of his mouth. So a lot of parables uh, find their parallels in the church of Laodicea. All right, but we continue here. Verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich, increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not. And what Christ is about to do is to outline the true condition of Laodicea. And I think we're going to find some things that are very enlightening in these characteristics. But thou art wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. So five things. This church is wretched. This church is miserable. They're poor, they're blind, and they're naked. So what does those things, what do those things mean? If someone can turn quickly to Romans chapter 7 and verse 24. Romans chapter 7 and verse 24. A wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Okay, familiar chapter, right? At the end of the chapter, in conclusion, the man of Romans 7 cries out, O wretched man that I am. What's a wretched man? Well, it's described in all of Romans chapter 7. I'll just give you a clue. He knows what is right. He wants to do what's right, but he can't do it. The good that that I know, that I do not. But that which I don't want to do, that is what I do. You know, it's the tongue twister. So, a wretched man. This church is wretched because he knows what is right, but he can't accomplish it. He knows and he even wants to do what God's will is, but he doesn't have the power to do it. That is a wretched man. Okay, we're continuing. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So a miserable person, by definition of this text, is that those people that have only hope in this life. If they have no hope outside of this life, no hope for a better future... Of all men, they are most miserable. So what does that say about Laodicea? They have no hope outside of this life. They are living this life as though this was all there is. I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I'm doing wonderful. You have a comment? Okay, microphone. Norm, keep it, keep it brief if you can, please. These people, they think that they have hope in Christ in this life but they really only have it in this life it's not for the future that's a good point did you hear what he said 
they think that they have hope in a future life, but it's actually only in this life that they have what they really desire. Is there a comment in the back too? Yes, regarding to Romans 7, yes. Paul had recognized his condition though. And it was in view of what in and of himself he was totally unable to do it. But the chapter 7 and 8 belong together and we see how this man vic lived victorious and he's passing it on. That's exactly right. Romans, I don't want to leave people with the idea that Romans 7 is the experience that we're supposed to have. That's not. Romans 8 and Romans 6, you got to read them all together. But Laodicea is stuck in Romans 7. That's the problem with Laodicea. They never moved on to chapters, chapter 8. You know, living after the spirit and not after the flesh. Good points. All right, let's continue. Next, next verse. James chapter 2 and verse 5. James 2, 5. Okay, let's have a volunteer. Anyone? I'll just read it then. All right, for sake of time. James chapter 2, verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he had promised to them that love him? <clears throat> so, this defines to us what it means to be rich, spiritually speaking. To be rich means to have faith. To be rich means to have faith. But this church, the Laodicea, they're poor spiritually. So that means they lack faith. They lack faith. Okay, next verse, Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 9. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 9. Let's see how much time we have. Okay, we're moving along here. I'll just read it. We're going to run out of time here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, it says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged of his old sins. So this is a, a text at the end of a list of characteristics. And it says, if you lack these things, then you are blind. So what is it that uh, these, the church of Laodicea is lacking? Let's go back, verse 3. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, I'll just list them for you, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Also known as Peter's ladder of sanctification, steps in which we develop into the likeness of Christ to be partakers of the divine nature. Now, have I gone through all? Oh, wait, there's one more. There's one more. So the church of Laodicea did not never climb Peter's ladder. They never walked the steps of sanctification, never partook of divine nature. And the last one is they are naked also. They're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And nakedness came, you remember the story, I'll just reference it for you, you can go back and read it. Revelation or Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they ate of the fruit and all of a sudden they realized something, that they were naked and that they were ashamed and they hid themselves and they tried to sew fig leaves together. 
nakedness comes when we sin. And it is not just ignorant sin, it is comes as a known transgression, a known violation of the clear expressed will of God. It's a shame. We feel shameful because we knew it was right, or we knew it was wrong, and we did it anyway. So now, all of these things Laodicea characterizes. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And all of these things, if I can put it in one word, it has to do with heart conversion. It has to do with the character. It has to do with Christ in them, the hope of glory. And so what's the solution? What's the solution? We're going to try to deal with this very quickly here. The admonition is in verse 18. I'll just uh, fly through this. Christ counsels them to buy of him several things. To buy of him gold tried in the fire, white raiment, and eye salve. Three things. We need to buy gold tried in the fire, white raiment, and Isaiah. What do these things represent? Now, first of all, what does it mean for us to buy? What does Christ mean when he says we need to buy? I thought salvation and everything was free. Do we have to pay for it? Okay, question here, or comment here. It means there's an exchange. That's right. It's, there's an exchange. When you buy something, you give something and get something. That's right. And that's what Jesus means. Mm-hmm. And what we don't have is what he's offering. And if we will come to him, we can buy from him the things that we need. Good. There is an exchange that needs to take place. And what is that exchange? In simply, basically, what Christ requires, are you ready for this? Is everything. He requires everything. The parable of the pearl of great price. For that pearl of great price, the merchant man sold all that he had. When the man that was tilling in the field found the treasure that's hid in the field, he went home, he sold all that he had to buy that field. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, and by the way, the rich young ruler, I believe, has a lot of similarities with this Laodicean church. Christ says, One thing thou lackest, go sell all that thou hast. Give to the poor and come and follow me. Comment. One other thing, this term buy is represented in the parable of the ten virgins. Oh, yeah. Yes, buy it is. Oil. That's right, to buy. Mm-hmm. To go to them that sell and mm-hmm. buy because the wise virgins didn't have enough for both. Right. So the parable of the ten virgins is the message to Laodicea it or is. vice versa. It is. So buying means to be willing to surrender everything. Okay, we have a comment over here. Um, I was watching Mark Finley talk about the Church of Laodicea one time, and he said that uh, Laodicea was very, very wealthy, and they had merchants that that uh, brought in brought in very um, expensive raiments and clothes, mm. and they had a university that they came up with a self a, a healing uh, ointment for the eyes. Oh, interesting! So he was addressing every point there. <laughs> yeah, so the literal Laodicea had yes, all literal. of these things. Yes, yeah, that's a really interesting point. Yes. So when Christ says, whatever you need, you need to buy from me, what he's, about, what he's saying is, you need to be willing to sacrifice everything for what I'm about to offer you. Everything, your preconceived ideas, your future plans, your goals, your aspirations, whatever they are, 
lay them on the altar. That's the only way you'll get what I'm about to offer you. So what does he offer? First of all, he offers gold tried in the fire that you may be rich. Now, gold we already talked about, or how to be rich, it's faith. Gold is what makes a person wealthy, and the rich are the rich in faith. But what does it mean, gold tried in the fire? Uh, let's look in James again, James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 3. Actually, verse 2. Let's start there. James chapter 1, verse 2. I'll just read it. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or tests, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Christ is telling his people, not only do you need faith, you need faith that has been tested with trials, tried in the fire. You need to go through the difficult times that this life has to offer. Uh, we've, uh, I think we've discussed this before here at Avon Hope. The trial of our faith represents the gold tried in the fire. Faith. Next, the white raiment that you may be clothed and the shame of your nakedness does not appear. Let's look. Revelation chapter... Oh, where am I? Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 8. Revelation 19 verse 8, it says, And to her, meaning the wife of the Lamb, to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of of the saints. So white raiment Christ offers to his people is righteousness. He offers righteousness. And the righteousness that covers the shame, meaning covers their nakedness, means the righteousness that enables them to stop transgressing. That's the, that's the issue when it comes to nakedness. You're always going to be naked as long as you're transgressing God's will knowingly. And Christ says, I'm going to cover that meaning I'm going to empower you to overcome. Okay, and the ISAV, uh, the ISAV, uh, there's actually a lot about the ISAV, but let's just um, reference a few things here. I'll just throw this out. When the Bible says spiritual things, how must they be discerned? Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. There's a story in John chapter 9. Let's just turn there real quick. John chapter 9. The whole chapter has to do with Jesus healing a blind man. Jesus, on the Sabbath day, he finds a blind man who wants to have his sight restored. He makes a little uh, clay poultice with his saliva, puts it on the guy's eye, says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And then there's a whole exchange that goes on after, the, after that healing. The man is healed, and the Pharisees are up in arms, and they're saying this guy doesn't keep the Sabbath, and yada, yada, yada. But let's just look at one verse here. Verse 17. So the Pharisees are asking the man who had his eyes opened. Verse 17. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he has opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Jesus somehow, you know, this is something I'm also continuing to study. Through the miracle of giving eyesight to the man, demonstrated to this blind man that Jesus was indeed a prophet. So I guess one of the one of the jobs of a prophet is to give sight. 
to the blind. And particularly spiritually. Spiritual discernment comes from the gift of prophecy. And you can look at um, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 9, verse 9. Prophets are equated with seers. That's the, na- that's the Old Testament name or term for prophets. They're seers. So prophets are help God's people have spiritual discernment and spiritual eyesight. So what does that say about the church of Laodicea? They need their spiritual discernment to be opened. They need to be able to discern spiritual things. And what is the gift that God has given to them? The gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy. So let's look at what we've discussed so far. Jesus says, I want you to buy, meaning sacrifice everything. And he says, gold tried in the fire, meaning the trying of your faith. Okay? And then white raiment that covers your nakedness, the righteousness of the saints, which includes obedience to the commandments. And finally, salve, meaning spiritual discernment, the Holy Spirit, the gift of prophecies, the spirit of prophecy. So the Laodicean church, Christ is giving them all the ingredients for them to be, to have, to keep the commandments of God, to have the testimony of Jesus, to have the faith of Jesus, and to have the patience of the saints. Do those terms ring a bell? The church of Laodicea, Christ is intending for them to be the final generation, and he's offering them everything that they need. Even though they're in the weakest of all weak, you know, the weakest of the weak, of all the generations of human degeneracy, they have the highest calling, and they have the greatest gifts. The greatest blessings have been given to them. 